This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get the Hillman Morning Show on demand. Podcasts and more are always online and on your schedule at WAAF.com. All right. It is my pleasure to take care of business and welcome to the show, Randy Bachman on the Framingham Ford studio line. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. How you doing? Very good. Um, so right off the bat, I just want to go behind the ear roach, the ear moth, and find out whether or not the pizza delivery guy who came to the recording <laughs> studio is playing the piano on that song. He is. He is. That's wow. amazing. Really? <laughs> so um, this is like the... Um, you know the old the story, the urban legend that uh, some guy showed up at the Coca Cola uh, or the Coca Cola plant, or walked into their office and said you ought to put it in a bottle, and that's how Coke <laughs> ended up being in a bottle. Uh, but this is actually a true thing. Like the, you guys were in the studio and he showed up. Yeah, there was a knock at the studio door. We had been in the studio fourteen hours, so we were packing up to go home. And I opened the door and this guy standing there, and he's in an army fatigue suit. He got a big frizzy black beard and frizzy hair, and he's standing there with three pizzas. And I said, uh, we didn't order pizza, so try down the hall. Steve Miller was down the hall doing Why Can't We Be Friends album, and War was down the hall in Studio C doing, uh, I mean, they were doing Why Can't We Be Friends. Steve Miller was doing his Fly Like an Eagle album. And so a few minutes later, there's a knock at the door, and the guy's standing there again. And I said, you got rid of the pizza? And he says, yeah. I said, what can, what can I do? He's standing there looking at me, and he said, well, this, uh, I've been listening to the song through the door, and it sounds like it could use a piano. And I oh said, yeah, God. I know Elton John and, and Dr. John and Little Richard, and I'll probably maybe get a piano on it later. And he said, well, I'm here right now. I'm a piano player. I don't deliver pizza until the end of the month until I can't pay my rent. Give me a shot. So I, I said, well, okay, I'll give him a shot. We threw a mic in the piano. He played it once, and he went delivering pizza, and we went home to sleep. And I never even heard the piano track back after he played it. And the next day, the head of our label flew in and said, let me hear the album. And I said, well, you hear it day early. We don't have it all mixed or balanced. He said, just let me hear what you've got. So I said to the engineer, when you're playing this song, don't play the piano track, because we hadn't heard it played back. So halfway through TCB, the engineer pushes the volume up, and in comes the piano. And the head of our label, his name was Charlie. Charlie jumps out of the chair and goes, wow, that's amazing. Beat you with the piano, because all you guys now are guitar, bass, and drums, you and ZZ Top, and... Doobie Brothers and Errol Smith. So Elton John owns AM and FM radio because of the piano. So let me hear the whole track. So we back the track up and play the whole track for him. And he goes, that's amazing. Leave it the way it is. Leave in the piano. And he says to me, who's playing the piano? <laughs> I said, I have no idea. It's just a pizza delivery guy delivered pizza and he left. And he said, are you kidding? And I said, no. He said, this is a rock legend. I said, it sure is. I have no idea who the guy is. So I went down the hall to Steve Miller and I said, where'd you get pizza from? And he said, well, it wasn't us. And I go further on down the hall to war, and I say, where'd you get the pizza from? They don't remember because everyone's cleaned up. And there's no pizza on napkins or boxes. So I went to the uh, lady at the front of the studio, and I said, here's the Yellow Pages. You started Antonio's, 
and I'll start halfway through at Mario's, and we have to phone every Italian pizza place within maybe three or four blocks of the studio and ask them if they have a pizza delivery guy that looks like Fidel Castro. <laughs> and you found him? Did you find him? I, I got him on the third phone call, and I said, um, can you tell me his name? And they wouldn't. They can't give employees names over the phone. I said, okay, how do I see him? They said, well, you've got to order a pizza. Oh. He starts working at 6. We ordered a pizza. He came in. His name was Norman Durkee. Uh, he, uh, later on, he went to, and that's the piano here on TCB. And later he went on to be Bette Midler's musical director on, on her North American tour. Wow. And when I played with Ringo Starr All-Star Band in 95, we ended the tour in uh, Los Angeles at the Greek Theater. And the pianist for the re L.A. Philharmonic was the same guy, Norman Durkee. Wow. That's, that's amazing. amazing. What a great story. What a great story. I, I had also read about you guys that... Sammy Hagar wanted you guys to open the Van Halen tour, his first tour with Van Halen, right. so that because you know because you guys have so many great songs that the that that the that the audience would not have a chance to think at all about David Lee Roth in the lead <laughs> in the lead up to the show. Is that true? Yes, I had been writing some songs with Sammy, and then he joined Van Halen. And he came up to my place uh, in Washington, where I lived, Linden, Washington, and did a couple of songs. And he said, uh, hey, would you guys like to open for Van Halen? I'm joining. We're doing the 5150 tour. And uh, we want like 35 minutes of hit songs. Uh, because he said what was called a popcorn band. They'd have a band that didn't have any hits. You'd just go up there and make a noise. And then people would be buying popcorn and buying merchandise right before the show. Yeah. But Sammy wanted, you know, rock and roll. And then only a five-minute switchover. So when they came on stage, they would just rock into Van Halen stuff, and nobody, nobody would be yelling, where's David Lee Roth? Like, where's Dave? So we did that for uh, ten and a half months. <laughs> Randy Bachman is our guest, and Randy Bachman left two big bands, the guests, the guests Who and BTO, at the height of their popularity. And I'm assuming that this film, which you want to talk about, which is called Bachman, addresses kind of why you did that. I think it might. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, you well, guys worked. Uh, the, the, Randy Bachman has probably one of the, the, maybe the best work ethic in rock and roll. These guys worked. They played, you played like 300 gigs a year, basically. Yeah, for right? three or four years. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, and they were constantly recording, writing music, making albums constantly all the time. That's got to burn after a while. But did you, Randy? Did you leave the Guess Who because of your religious beliefs? Is that is that story true? No, it's kind of made up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh wait a minute! Wait a minute! Because that you're you, is that true that you were you were drug free during the sixties and seventies? Yes. Oh, for my entire life, I've been drug free. Yeah. Which is yeah. amazing. The sixties and seventies. Yeah. Where drugs in the music business, it was just a it yeah, was a given. It was thing. a given. Right. Yeah. And you yeah. you managed to stay away from all that. Yeah. Well, I was afraid of it. I saw how stupid my friends got when they were on drugs. I mean, literally, they would take acid and jump out of a third-story window yelling, I can fly, I'm Superman, and land on a truck below or a phone booth and break their legs. So I figured, I don't want this. I won't do, so I didn't do it. And I was allergic to smoke, so I never smoked anything. <laughs> That's oh, wow. amazing. Wow. Well, they, um, the filmmakers spoke to Neil Young and to Peter Frampton and a lot of others about you to create this 78-minute movie. And um, I'm sure that it's, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. 
Is this one of those things that you ever anticipated happening, that there would be a documentary about you? No, and I thought it was a little too premature to happen when it did, but it just happened, so I went along with it. They talked to me and and my kids, my daughter Lorelai, my son Tal, and some other um, Alex Lifeson's in there, and Paul Ooh. Schaefer, and a whole bunch of guys are in there. So it, it was uh, it was kind of interesting to see it. I saw it for the first time. I wasn't part of making it. Part of the deal was he didn't want to tell me John Barnum the, who I, who he was interviewing or what they would say. So I wouldn't want to get in there and censor it in a way. So it was when I saw it at the Indie Doc Fest last fall in Toronto. That was it. I sat there with my with Tal and Lorelai, my kids, and everybody else, my manager, and everything, and saw it for the first time. I haven't seen it since then, so I don't even know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see it again. I mean, when I saw it then, there were so many flash bulbs and flashlights and going on, and people, you know, I couldn't really sit down. So a lot of these things you've got to watch two or three times. Like I watched the Clapton Life in 12 Bars. You know, I watched that, you know, at, I don't know, three or four times. Then you really get into it. Well, it premieres today on iTunes, Prime Video, Google Play, and DVD. So for anybody who wants to see it and learn more about Randy, and, and uh, I mean, they, I think the, the Guess Who had the first number one by a Canadian band on the Billboard charts ever, I think. Is that is, is That's that correct, and BTO had the second one. And BTO wow. had the second one, wow. which probably enraged Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> yeah, well, we, I've known Gordon all my life. He was a great uh, inspiration for me. And uh, I don't know if he had a number one or not, but he sure had a lot of uh, hit albums. And he's like Canada's uh, Bob Dylan, basically. Yeah. Well, if um, When it comes to bands covering songs, your songs, like, like for instance, American Woman, but uh, are there covers that you like and covers you don't like? Well, at first you don't like it because it's not honoring you or copying your version. And then you realize, why would they copy my version when it failed? I, I did a George Harrison tribute album last year mm -hmm. for his 75th birthday, and I tried to copy his song. It was ridiculous. I couldn't do them any better than he did with the Beatles. So I, I put out an album called By George, and I rearranged all his songs and did them differently. Uh, which was a lot of fun to do, and I appreciated when I got a, a lime green CD that had scribbled on it, Mike Myers, Lenny Kravitz, and Mike Myers was doing Austin Powers, and he wanted to put American Woman in it, and Lenny Kravitz sent me six versions of American Woman of different tempos and different you know, grooves and everything, and said, which one do you like? So I picked one that I liked and told them. Then Lenny went and worked on that, and then that's the one that became the hit they added to the movie and his album. What did, um, how did you end up being playing yourself on The Simpsons? Well, it's really weird. I was on a uh, uh, I was on a tour, and I come home and uh, sitting there in my fax machine is a request to use taking care of business and ain't seen nothing yet on The Simpsons. And my my people handled my my songs then with Sony Music Publishing, so I called them up and I said, do they want to play my songs on The Simpsons? Like for what? And they said. Well, they want you on the show. You're on with BTO. You're, it's a cartoon show. You know, you're cartooned. You're drawn. And uh, Matt Groening is a big fan of BTOs because he went to Evergreen College in Seattle when you guys were, like, really busting out of Seattle in the, in the early 70s. And so you're, you're, you're cartooned at the movie, so you've got to fly in and do a voiceover. And I said, wow, you're kidding. That's great. So I flew down there and did the voiceover. And the whole episode... Um, 
uh, Homer Simpson is taking Bart to a concert, and he says, you you got to understand the 70s. We didn't know the band. We knew the band names, but we were such buddies. We called them ELO and CSNN and BTO, and every band <laughs> had their own initials. And like, and Bart's sitting there going, what? And he's going, yeah, and BTO's my favorite. And then I come on stage, and I say, hey, nice to be here. Hello, Springfield. Nice to be here in town. We're going to play... Um, you know, some new music, and Homer, Homer goes crazy, going, I don't want to hear your music, play Taking Care of Business, and then it goes <laughs> right. into Taking Care of Business, and they see nothing yet. And it was really, really amazing doing that show, meeting, sitting at a table for the read, and seeing all the people doing the voices, because when you're reading it and saying it, you don't see the, the cartoons. They put that together later. I mean, you don't see the animation. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's amazing. What is the... What do you think is the best use of a BTO song in film or television? Would would you say it's The Simpsons or something else? Oh, uh, The Simpsons was really good, and the, uh, another really good pairing was Office Depot. Because oh, you're yeah. buying your office supplies and school supplies, oh, right. and you're taking <laughs> oh, yes. care of business. <laughs> yes, yes. That's a good story uh, about that song in the film. You you say you wrote it. It was kind of it was about your dad. Right. Well, he'd always say to me, you've got to get a real job because you work at nothing all day, <laughs> you know, and that kind of stuff. So I used some of his lyrics in there. <laughs> well, that's kind of like the similar to Dire Straits and money for nothing. Money for like, nothing. People don't yeah, exactly. People don't think you're earning earning your living doing it. What is, right. um, is there a band that I always like to ask artists about bands that opened up for them and then went on to become really, really big? There must be some bands that opened up for BTO over the years who ended up becoming huge. Yes, who I'd like who I'd like to open for now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, one was Aerosmith. They had one song that was slightly getting played uh, in Boston. That was Dream On. Yeah, and uh, nobody had really heard of them, and we were playing B- uh, BTLs playing Boston, and uh, we didn't have a lot of security in those days, and so we're sitting in our dressing room, and you're trying to get psyched up before the show, right? And this guy comes running in the dressing room, and we have no idea who he is. He's dressed like Barbara Eden on on Dream I Dream of Jeannie. <laughs> oh yeah, he's got long hair, and he's got these flowing pants and shirt on. And he's walking on his hands, and it's Steven Tyler. He comes in on his hands like. He's an acrobat. He used to walk backstage all the time on his hands. <laughs> and I say to Bruce Allen, our manager, who's this guy who's like broken? He thinks he's Elvis. Throw him out. So Bruce stands up and says, out, out, get out, get out. And then two days later, we're on with him again. I realize this is the lead singer from Aerosmith. So every time I see Stephen Tyler now, which isn't that often, but we have this joke about me throwing him out of the dressing room, but I didn't know who he was. He could have been some guy who came in from the audience or the stage crew or something. And oh, so that's... that was an opening act to us. Another one was Bob Seger, who when we hit number one, Bruce Allen, my manager, said, well, you're number one, you can pick an opening act. And I said, well, I want to get Bob Seger. And he said, who's that? And I said, well, I've got these two records called uh, Two Plus Two is on my mind and Rambling Gamble Man, and this guy's a real rocker. So we found him in a bar playing in Michigan and took him on tour, and he had been dropped at that time by Capitol and Warner Brothers. But he opened for BTO for over 200 dates, and then the record label started to call him. Hey, you're selling catalog. You're selling records everywhere you go. And then, uh, so they renewed their contract with Bob Seger. He asked me to produce them, him, but I didn't have time. So I passed them on to the, my uh, producer from the Guess Who, who was Jack Richardson, who then produced all of Bob Seger's hits, and he's playing tambourine on Night Moves and all that stuff. So there was a couple of opening acts there, the, and then Lizzie, uh, who oh. passed you by, and then you hope they will call you <laughs> to open for them someday. 
Um, we get to see in the film, we get to see your massive guitar collection. How many, how many guitars do you own, Randy? Uh, ask your co-host there how many pairs of shoes she has. Um, yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, right? very true. Yeah. Oh, that's a great yeah. 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 All right, so you don't know how many you have. But exactly, you... I don't know. <laughs> do you have a favorite out of all of them? Is that possible? Well, it's my 59 Les Paul that I played on American mm-hmm. Woman. And I, I, sold, I used to have Gretsch guitars. I sold 385 Gretsch guitars for Fred Gretsch. It's now the Gretsch Museum in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, now I just I play my 59 Les Paul. I play a copy of it because the original was too heavy. It was like 14 and a half pounds, and it messed up my back. So Gibson made me a lighter one that's under 8 pounds, and I play that on stage all the time. It has the same tone, and my real one, the American Woman one, is in the Canadian Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum in Calgary, Alberta. That's the one you broke out. at the end of, Near the end of the film, they break that out for you to play on the George Harrison album you did. They yeah, pulled it out of the glass there, case. So we're, yeah. I'm doing, playing by George, and I, I said, look, I need a different guitar for the solo. And they, so my, my bass player says, look, why don't you uh, go get your own guitar across the street? So we go across the street to get our own guitar, and there's an armed guard with this guitar. So the guy comes over with a rifle, and they bring my guitar over, and I take it out, and I play it in a, a solo on the George Harrison um, album, the By George album. And then they put it right back and under plexiglass. I mean, it's like the Mona Lisa. They put it there under the plexiglass <laughs> in the museum. Um, speaking of, I feel a little bit like Casey Kasem doing this during this interview, but speaking of stories about songs, is it true that you or somebody in the band had a friend who stuttered and that's where you got the inspiration for the way in which you guys did You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet? Yes, it was me, and it was my brother who stuttered, and I had three brothers, and we played pranks on each other and teased each other incessantly, and when BTO was hot and number one, I thought I would stutter over a throwaway band track and mix a copy on cassette and just send it to my brother as a na 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 kind of thing, <laughs> and uh, the head of our label heard it and said, I want to put that on the album. It's unique. There's nothing like it on the radio, <laughs> and he put it on the album and it's out of tune, and I don't know what I'm singing about, and the guitar's flat, and I said, this is terrible, let me redo it, and we couldn't recapture the magic. So the way it is is the way it went. It came on the album, <laughs> and they released it as a single, and it went to number one in 22 countries and sold millions of copies. I mean, for an album band like us to have like a hit single, it's kind of like a Stairway to Heaven coming out and selling a million singles. <laughs> You're ca- I, I've I've always heard that. I never knew that whether that was true or not. So that's, that was that's your incredible. And your brother probably loved it, right? Well, let's put it this way: when it came out, he stopped stuttering. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't want well, anyone to know it was him. <laughs> well, this is—I mean—it's extraordinary having you on, and you tell some amazing stories. And for those who are interested in more. You gotta watch Bachman, which is about Randy Bachman's life and his career, and you can see it premieres today on iTunes, Prime Video, Google Play, and DVD. And I would invite you back on this show anytime. And mm-hmm. I and you, you you know if you come to Boston, I, your stories are extraordinary. So I'd love to have you in the studio at some point, Randy. That would be great. I'll do that. I'll call you tomorrow, same time. All right, yeah, call, okay. yeah, call, us, yeah. Yeah, call us tomorrow, same time, and we'll talk more. All right? It's, okay. It's, uh, congrats on everything, and it's Thanks, really great, really great to talk to you. All right. That's, uh, that's Randy Bachman. Great stories. Oh, my yeah, God. Unbelievable. Really, really good stuff. And the pizza delivery guy. Yep. 
He, I hope he gets royalties. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I hope they tipped him. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Jeez. Um, you notice I'm most excited about the story with the, that involves a pizza, pizza delivery. Right. Yeah. 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 Predictable. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's fine. That's that's great. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.